Well, good morning, everyone. We're going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to, um, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer again this week, so Lord's Prayer Part 2. Um, and let me pray to get us started. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the access we have to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can call upon you as Father and know that you hear us and, and care about us and that you're eager to um, hear and answer. And so we, we pray uh, today as we look at this prayer, um, you would continue to shape our, our thinking, shape our prayer life, shape our, our uh, way of living by the truths contained here. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Lord's Prayer Part 2, before we um, look at some of the material, uh, somebody reminded me last week of um, Martin Luther has a little booklet called A Simple Way to Pray. And uh, the story goes that uh, he was getting a haircut from his barber, a man named Peter, uh, who was a Christian, and was having some trouble with uh, his prayer life and asked you know, if you've got one of the greatest theologians in the world sitting in your barber chair, hey, ask him about prayer. And so um, he asked Luther for some help. And so the story goes that Luther wrote this little treatise. It's very readable, very uh, practical. Um, I think you can find it for free online. Uh, this is a booklet uh, with a kind of an up-to-date translation by Matthew Harrison, who's a... Um, I don't know if he still is, but he was the president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, here in the U.S. Um, he's, he, I've seen some videos of him online. He seems like a real character. He's got, you know, um, this primo mustache that's probably only second to the mustache Tom used to have. Um, and he just seems like a real character. Um, but great little booklet, so I recommend it. If you, if you want to get your hands on it, you could order the booklet from Amazon, or you can find... I'm sure you can find it online uh, for free. So um, Luther just talks about how he goes about kind of preparing for prayer and praying and different um, just kind of practical tools that he, he uses. Um, and, he t- and he does talk about the Lord's Prayer and how he uses it. So, um, you know, and it's Luther, so there's funny things that he says in there. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's a good read. So um, check that out if you're able. Um, so we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer uh, again. Last week, we only looked at the address, our Father in Heaven. And I just I want to say a few things um, by way of review and introduction about the address before we look at the particular petitions. Um, it's important, we talked about this last week, it's important to remember um, to whom we pray. Um, and, and Luther talks about this in his booklet, like not just rushing in with all of our, our requests, although at times, you know, the, the circumstances demand that, you know, it's just a, you know, immediate need, fine. But in, in general, um, to, to spend some time remembering that the God to whom we're praying is not just some far off distant deity out in the clouds somewhere or outer space, uh, he is our Father in heaven. We are adopted sons and daughters of of God through Jesus Christ, and, and that opens up a whole world of um, hope and courage and um, confidence and safety and security. And um, 
you know, he's he's eager. I talked last week, I think it's from the Book of Common Prayer, talks about he's more eager to hear our prayers than we are to even offer them. He he gives more than we deserve or even desire. And so we, you know, we tend to think of prayer as just simply a duty. And it, and it can be at times, it can feel like just a duty at times. But, but it's also a privilege and it's a lifeline. Um, and just this idea of relating to God as he's our father, I'm a son or a daughter of, of my father in heaven. You know, it's not just Jesus who, who emphasizes this. Paul emphasizes this. Uh, we'll get there in our Roman series eventually, but Romans chapter 8, Paul says, uh, verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And and you know there that when he says sons, he's talking about that legal system in, in the Roman world of adoption where a, a son, a, a person, could become the legal heir of you know a wealthy person. And all men and women, uh, Christians, are are son, adopted sons. And, and he says, you know, the, the Holy Spirit who's been given to us even characterizes him as the spirit of adoption, that a big part of the Holy Spirit's ministry is to help us um, better grasp our, our status, our standing as, as God's children. He says the, the Spirit helps us cry, Abba, Father. Abba being the, the Aramaic word, uh, for father, there's different ways it could be translated. And, you know, most Jesus spoke Aramaic. Um, so when he taught his disciples to pray, our father in heaven, Abba is probably the word that he used. Um, so even the, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit helps us um, relate to God as father, to know him as father. Paul goes on to say the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So Again, that the ministry of the Spirit um, testifying to us, assuring us that we are God's children. Um, there's some complementary truths in the address. Um, I, I won't dwell on this. I'll just point them out. Um, you know, we say, our Father in heaven, and it brings together some complementary truths. It brings together intimacy and awe. So the, the father side, you know, the family relationship, the, the affection, the access, the privilege. But then in heaven signals this, uh, he's not just, he's this exalted uh, God. And so intimacy, awe, um, comfort, the comfort of a, a heavenly father who cares for us, but also the reverence side as he's he's holy he's exalted um, but also dependence and obedience you know we we come to him with our needs we depend on him we rely on him we cast our burdens on him but also to call him father kind of um, uh, implies that we're seeking to be um, obedient sons and daughters and so it, you know the the address brings together these different complementary truths so um, we spent a lot of time on the address last week. I'm tempted to just spend the whole time again, but we need to move on uh, and look at the rest of the Lord's Prayer. Um, this this prayer, um, it really you could divide it into two sections, and the first section contains three God-centered petitions. The second section contains three 
uh, need-oriented petitions. Um, so there's a, a balance between the two. Both are important, the, the, the God focus and then the need focus. Both are important. Both are represented here in the Lord's Prayer. Remember last week I talked about how the Lord's Prayer is a model for us. It shows us the kinds of um, priorities and, and things that we should be praying about. Well, we have this nice balance of, of you could say, worship and kingdom-oriented um, petitions, but then also, hey, uh, I need bread. <laughs> you know, our needs. Um, some of us um, maybe need to incorporate more of the, the God-centered petitions into our prayer life. Maybe that's missing or not, not as prevalent as it should be. Others of us maybe need a reminder that um, praying for needs, praying for just what seem like unimportant things to other people, praying for those things is, is good and right. And Jesus teaches us to, to do that. Um, but the structure of the prayer is instructive. Um, it begins with, it puts priority on God and his kingdom. And we're, we're going to spend some time looking at those three uh, God-centered petitions and then, and then talk about the needs. Um, prayer is about more than just getting our needs met. Um, it, it's not less than that. It's not less than going to God with, with our needs and our cares and our concerns. But, but it's more than that. And, and I think the Lord's Prayer shows us that. It's, it's one of, um, prayer is one of the means God uses to advance his kingdom on earth. And we'll see, Jesus uh, teaches us to pray about God's kingdom. And so these, these first three petitions uh, focus on God's glory. But, let me just say this so nobody misunderstands, um, but the structure of the prayer also teaches that our needs are important to God. So it begins with God and his glory, but also moves on to our needs, our circumstances, our cares, our concerns. And we don't need to choose between um, praying about God's glory and praying about our needs. Both are good. Both are valid. Jesus uh, encourages us to do both. So let's look first at uh, the three God-centered petitions. Um, The first one deals with God's name. So the three petitions have to do with God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. And, and they're all interrelated, but we're going to look at them separately. Uh, first, God's name. Um, your, uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, in the Bible, when, um, when we hear that, that, that temp, God's name, right? God's name represents who he is, Right? It tells us something about his character. For example, in uh, Exodus 34, uh, God tells Moses he's going to proclaim his name to him. And he says, uh, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God's name represents who he is. Um, what are some maybe uh, what are some biblical names for God? perhaps, that have been um, particularly meaningful for you. Caleb's got the microphone. I've got a long list, but I want to see if what, you're, what comes to mind for you. Amen in the back. 
The big one is I am. I am. I am, and then whatever it is that comes after that, he is for you. Everything. Great. Maybe one or two more. Pat's got got something. Um, just all his hyphenated names. So especially like Jehovah Tzidkenu, which is the Lord our righteousness. Mm-hmm. Or, or, yeah. Jaira, like Patty said, all the hyphenated names that give us sort of additional depth into who he is. Yeah, there's a lot of them there. All right. Uh, you know, uh, El, Elohim, meaning mighty one, powerful one, uh, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He's our shepherd. He's our peace. He's our righteousness. He's our rock. He's our refuge. Um, you know, there, there's a lot. There's a lot of names there. The Bible's a big book. Uh, God's name represents who he is. And, and Jesus teaches us to pray that God's name would be hallowed. Now, uh, when's the last time you used that word? I, I, in recent history, have only used it when talking about the Lord's Prayer. Um, I guess maybe we, we mention it if we, if we talk about Halloween um, or, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, a battlefield, a significant battlefield in, in history is, is called hallowed ground, um, things like that. Um, it means to, to honor as holy, to treat something as holy, to revere. And so, uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're saying, may your name be reverenced, may it be honored, may it be treated as holy. Um, may may your name be praised, adored, and and so on. And so, um, you know, suggestions here. We we want to you know make this practical. Uh, spend some time in your prayers uh, worshiping God. You know, before rushing into the needs, unless it's like you know some emergency need <laughs> that needs to be prayed about immediately. Spend some time worshiping and adoring your Father in heaven. You know, maybe recalling some of these names, these names that Scripture uses for Him. Um, two, one, because He's worthy of your worship. He uh, He's worthy of being praised. He's worthy of being honored. Two, because it will help you in your prayers to remember hey, this God is my rock. Um, I can depend on him. This God is, you know, whatever the the name might be. Um, you know, impress, ask God to impress on you uh, the the truth of who He is, so that you yourself would worship, love, and adore Him more fully. Um, you know, at, at the heart level, not just in in words, but but also in our in our lives. You know, Luther when he talks about the Lord's Prayer, says, you know, God has put his name on each and every Christian in our baptism. You know, we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God puts his name on us. Uh, We are, uh, you know, we talk a lot about how we're created in the image of God. We're image bearers. We're also name bearers as Christians. And so we bear God's name out into the world. And so praying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your names, part of what we're praying is make me a, a... a good representation of your name in this world. Um, that praying that we'd bring honor and glory um, to Him in the world. Um, 
praying our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, would also include you know, praying that uh, our Christian brothers and sisters would worship, love, and adore our Father in heaven, that, that people outside of our church would come to love and worship and adore our Father in heaven. So Jesus teaches us to begin with our Father's uh, name, then we move on to uh, God's kingdom, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, um, let's take a moment to think about God's kingdom, what that is. Um, in short, God's kingdom is his royal reign over the world, his, his royal, gracious rule over the world he created. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to go into a bunch of depth here, but just for a moment. Um, God has always been the sovereign king of the world. So that, that's part of what it means for him to be creator. He, he brought everything into existence. He owns it. He's sovereign over it, rules over it. He's always been king in that sense. Um, but he created human beings to be his vice regents on earth. You know, part of, uh, we read in Genesis, God gives the, the, um, command to Adam and Eve to exercise dominion over the world, to be wise and good stewards, vice regents over his world. And you know the story. Adam and Eve chose to be their own masters, not to, um, not to submit to the king of heaven, but to be their own masters. And so now um, humanity is in a state of rebellion against God's kingship against his rule. And, and the story of the Bible is the story of God reestablishing his rule in this world through Jesus Christ. And, um, and so uh, when we pray about God's kingdom, we're talking about that, that reality of God reestablishing through Christ and then through his people, his rule and reign on earth. And uh, God's kingdom... You know, it's characterized by, uh, you know, you could use this Hebrew word, shalom, uh, which, you know, usually in English we translate it as, as peace, which is a part of the idea, but just like a small part of the idea. It's um, peace in the fullest sense. Um, the world as it was supposed to be. You know, we, we know from Scripture what it was supposed to be. And we know from the, the end of Scripture, you know, the end of the book of Revelation, what it will be. Um, a, you know, a state of profound wholeness, um, well-being, flourishing, you know, creation flourishing, humanity flourishing, justice, righteousness, love, peace. Um, this, is, this is God's kingdom, and it, it's both present already and still to come, right? It's, it's present already and, um, and yet still future. You know, the theological jargon already, not yet. Um, the kingdom has come through Jesus and his gospel. Uh, Jesus said to, you know, the, the people listening to him, the kingdom is in your midst. The, the king is, came. And so the kingdom has come through his gospel, but it's still coming. Um, it's still coming as people embrace the gospel and come under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. They enter God's kingdom, and the kingdom is yet to come. You know, we know Christ has come. That doesn't mean everything has been put back right, completely, already done. We're living in paradise, right? Did anybody here think we're living in paradise? 
I mean, we don't even have sun right now. <laughs> How could it be paradise? Um, Christ will come, and when he, when he comes, the kingdom will come in fullness. That, that shalom idea, the way things are supposed to be, um, the renewed world, everything will be set right. And so um, that's, you know, kingdom, big idea in Scripture. What does it mean for our prayer life? What do, what do we mean when we say, um, your kingdom come? Well, a um, couple things. We're praying for, ultimately we're praying for the arrival of that, that consummated kingdom, that day when Christ comes and makes everything new. The world is set right. Uh, the fullness of new creation, the end of sin and death forever. Um, we're, we're praying. You know, uh, in, in the book of Revelation, you have uh, John praying, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. But we're also praying in the present that the kingdom would advance, that God's rule and reign would, would expand, in a sense, we could say, as people embrace the gospel, become followers of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, there's, there's parts of the world that are um, difficult areas, um, you know, parts of the world where there are um, large groups of people who have no... Um, access to a church where they could hear the Bible in their own language if they wanted to hear it. <laughs> but um, there's, there's places, you know, so we're praying, your kingdom come, you know, send missionaries, send Bible translators, you know, get people to these corners of the world where um, the gospel really hasn't been um, proclaimed yet. But, but also in, in closer to home, you know, we're praying for new churches to be planted in San Diego County. Um, I don't. I don't remember. I haven't looked at the numbers lately. Like what the population is for San Diego County. It's over three million, right? Um, and I don't know how many churches are here. There's a lot, but there's not nearly enough. Um, your kingdom come. Plant little embassies of your kingdom in more places here in our in our area. And then even, um, not just for new churches, but gospel growth in existing churches. When we pray, um, you know, your kingdom come, in part what we're praying is, uh, may your kingdom come more and more in my life. May, may I live more and more as a, a subject of King Jesus, as a citizen of, of his kingdom. Um, you know, uh, we talked about God's name represents who he is. Um, my name, Ryan, does anybody know what it means? What's that? <laughs> it, no, it doesn't mean bird watcher. <laughs> Although I saw Elise at Kit Carson Park on Friday, and she was feeding the ducks. So she likes birds, too. Um, uh, the name Ryan means little king. Not king, little king. You know, so, but um, you know, that can be often how I view myself. I'm a little king of my little kingdom. And... Um, you know, I want others to serve my desires, serve my interests, and praying your kingdom come is, is saying, um, you know, go to battle against this kingdom of self that rages inside of me. Um, you know, uh, just put it to death. <laughs> Bring about 
kingdom fruit in my life, the you know fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, etc., um, you know, shape me by kingdom values, uh, serving versus oppressing, loving the marginalized and the ignored. You know, Jesus comes as the embodiment of the kingdom, and we see these things in him. So um, to pray your kingdom come is quite a big petition. It, it, it embraces the world, but it also gets down into our hearts. And um, J.I. Packer says this about this petition. He says, to pray thy kingdom come is searching and demanding, for one must be ready to add, and start with me. Make me your fully obedient subject. Show me my place among workers for the kingdom of God, and use me so far as may be to extend the kingdom, and so be your means of answering my prayer. So we pray, and this is really true of any of these petitions, we pray your kingdom come, and we're, we're inviting God to use us in certain ways to answer that very prayer. So, uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So God's name, God's kingdom. And then um, God's will, the, the third petition, God's will. Um, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, closely tied to the, the, prayer, the petition about God's kingdom. Um, but this is difficult to pray, I think, um, especially if we have in mind you know, various circumstances in our life when we're praying, your will be done. Because um, we're implicitly saying, not my will, your will be done. And, and often there's a conflict, right, between maybe what we think is best, what we want, um, and what um, God's will is, and, and sometimes you know, and let it, we see God's you know will revealed explicitly in Scripture. Uh, sometimes our desires are contrary to that, and then obviously His His uh, providential will that we don't even know. But there's this um, there's tension when we pray this. It can be a struggle. Um, it requires some self denial and trust. And by self-denial, I don't mean denial of our personhood, but saying no to sinful desires, saying no to selfish um, wants and plans and purposes, and and trusting ourselves to a God who is all-wise, all-powerful, but doesn't always (laughs) make clear to us what exactly is going to happen, how it's all going to work out. Um, in some ways, we find ourselves like Jesus in Gethsemane, right? Um, if you come into the Finding Jesus in the Storm meeting later, we're going to talk about Jesus in Gethsemane. Um, you know, he's there and he's contemplating uh, what's about to happen at the cross, the, the pain and suffering, the, the spiritual anguish that will result, you know, the, forsaken, the God-forsakenness because he's um, acting as the sin-bearer. Um, and Jesus has to pray, not my will, but your will be done. Now, that's not to say Jesus had some sinful will that he wanted done. Um, I'm not even going to get into all that. But um, even Jesus, as, as fully human, um, had to entrust himself to his Father in heaven um, as a good and wise Father who has good and wise purposes for his children, but those good and wise purposes are often um, mysterious to us. 
you know, typically we only see the, the goodness and the wisdom of his purposes in hindsight, you know, long after the fact. Um, so that's where the trust comes in. I'm, I'm going to say your will be done means I'm not going to try to control this situation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be faithful. I'm going to try to trust and entrust myself and not manipulate, not coerce or try to control. That, that's a challenge. So we pray, your will be done. There's a phrase right after that, on earth as it is in heaven. Um, you know, heaven's the realm where God's will is perfectly done at all times, in all cases, by everyone present. You know, every, every angel that serves God does his will immediately, perfectly, fully. Um, Packer, again, uh, J.I. Packer, says this, this phrase, on earth as, as in heaven, it, it both arouses hope and awakens praise. So it, it arouses hope because there, we know, okay, there is a realm where God's will is being done perfectly already. We look around at this world and we see God's will is not being done <laughs> uh, perfectly. Uh, sometimes it's being um, opposed um, and, and yet we say, okay, there's this realm where God's will is already being done perfectly and we know his plan and his purpose is for uh, heaven and earth to be reunited. That's the vision at the end of the book of Revelation, uh, heaven come to earth. And so we can expect him to more and more um, do these amazing things in our lives in, in this world where the will of God that's done perfectly in heaven is being done more and more in our lives, in our families, in our world. Um, there's hope there. We see there, there is, um, things will not always be this way here in this uh, busted up, broken world. Um, we're praying, you know, may the, what's true of heaven now become more of a reality here on earth, in my life, in my community. So it arouses hope. It also awakens praise, Packer says. Um, we can praise God that he's a sovereign God whose will is done perfectly in heaven. And ultimately, um, his purposes will prevail here on earth. Um, so the three God-centered petitions, God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. Um, let me just repeat a few things. Take time to adore God in prayer. Take time to praise. Um, don't just rush in with the with the requests. Um, expand the scope of your prayers. The, I think this might be some of the the challenge for most of us is kind of moving beyond just the maybe the the ruts we've fallen into in our prayer life, the things we pray about. But um, you know, Jesus gives us these petitions that, in some ways, are just like, how how do I even pray that? That's so big. Um, but it, it's challenging us. Do do we believe that that God is a a sovereign God who will carry out his purposes in this world, that, that his plans and purposes are bigger than just, you know, um, the, the little slice of this, this earth that I occupy and my concerns and my needs. Yes, he is a God who is big and great and carrying out his plan for his, his kingdom to be established in this world. So expanding the scope of our prayers. And then uh, th- just something for you to think about. Um, what areas of your life could you pray your kingdom come and your will be done? So you think about the various relationships you have, the various 
circumstances you're in, the different um, you know environments you spend time in, um, marriage, your children, uh, work, workplace, co-workers, um, but also more um, internal stuff, your, your emotional life. Um, or your friendships, your finances, what would, when you, if you were to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in these particular areas with your particular, you know, circumstances and everything, um, what would that look like? That, that, that's something good to um, think about and maybe make some of those items for prayer. Um, maybe it's even spending some time, Lord, help me to figure out what this would look like for your kingdom to come in this particular struggle. Um, uh, I think that can be some fruitful, those would be fruitful uh, thoughts to, to dwell on and then fruitful petitions to, to make. Um, before we move on to um, the three need-oriented uh, petitions, did, did anybody do their homework? From last Sunday, I encourage you to to kind of incorporate the the Lord's prayer into your prayer life. And um, if anybody did, or even if you didn't, but um, how you know how would how have these three God oriented, um, kingdom oriented petitions? How have they maybe helped your prayer life, or changed your prayer life, sharpened your prayer life, did nothing for your prayer life? I don't know. I'll share. I found that, so I gave you the homework, so I had to try to do the homework as well. I found it really tough this week, actually, the the three God-centered petitions. Because I'm just, you know, like, thoughts racing, and I've got all these things i got to do, and um, I really found it to be a struggle to sit down and, and pause and worship. You know, adore God's name for a while before jumping into the the tasks. So that tells me uh, this is not an easy thing to do, and it takes time to um, become accustomed to praying like this and to learning to bring ourselves before our Father in heaven and and just spend some time in worship, spend some time expanding the scope of my prayers. I mean, I already knew that. It just was reinforced uh, to me this week. All right, the um, three need-oriented petitions. So uh, the the Lord's Prayer not only teaches us to, to think big thoughts about God and to make big petitions about God and his kingdom, but also teaches us to pray about our needs. And uh, three petitions here for um, provision, pardon, and protection. Um, I didn't make up that alliteration. I first heard it from J.I. Packer. I'm sure he heard it from some Puritan, some Puritan book. Um, but it, it's a great way to remember those three petitions, provision, pardon, protection. So let's look at the, the first petition. Uh, give us this day our daily bread, our daily bread. Um, let me ask a question. Ask you a question. Does this mean we can only ask if we are hungry? We can only ask God for bread, not water, uh, not lasagna. Um, 
name your food. No. Uh, daily bread represents basic necessities, um, especially in, in that context, first century Israel. You know, everyone lived on bread. It's, it's like the most, it's, it's a staple food, basic necessity, basic provision in ancient Israel. Now, we, you know, we move from, you know, your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done, such big prayers, and then, God, I need bread. My stomach's growling. And some people think this isn't spiritual enough. Um, you know, a, a real Christian, a mature Christian, doesn't uh, think about these things, doesn't pray about these things. Um, my answer would be, uh, let's not try to be more spiritual than Jesus, okay? Jesus taught us to pray, <laughs> give us our daily bread. Um, I think he knows what he's talking about. Um, another question, uh, do we need to pray this when there's a Costco right down you know, the road? And there's going to be another Costco <laughs> down the road um, over North County or whatever that place is called now, Westfield, North County. Um, do we need to pray this when we are surrounded by abundance? Um, I had a, a very close friend who spent um, about 10 years uh, as a missionary in Nepal. And um, he was based out of the capital of Nepal, Kathmandu, and then he would uh, spend lots of time way up in the mountains. He'd go up to Tibet and work with some people there. And um, Nepal's not a very wealthy country. And they, they don't have, you know, the city, Kathmandu, is a little different because it's an urban center. But, you know, outside of the, that urban context, uh, they don't have a Vons that you walk into where there's just shelf after shelf lined with food. And um, he would come back and visit. And, um, you know, he lived with various Nepali families. And um, he would say that, like, uh, if they could step foot in the grocery store here, I, he, he thought they would just kind of like lose their minds because they work so hard to, to get rice or so hard to, to get bread. And then like we go into the grocery store and there's like five different varieties of rice, every different style of bread you can think of. And do you want a loaf? Do you want it sliced? Do you want it whatever? Um, you know, we take for granted that we have all that we need. Um, most of us here in, in this room are not wondering, where am I going to get lunch today? Where am I going to find food for dinner this evening? I mean, we, we either don't need to think about it or it's just already taken care of um, or we can just wait until the last minute and go through the drive through whatever. Um, we take for granted that we have all that we need. This petition reminds us that we're dependent creatures. So even though like, I know that I've got food in my fridge and I'm not going to starve today, praying along these lines, uh, give us today our, our daily bread, is, is a reminder to me that, that even that food in my fridge, even the food in my pantry, uh, that was provided by God ultimately. I mean, maybe the Instacart delivery person dropped it off at my house, but ultimately it came from God. Ultimately, I depend on him for all things. Uh, we're not self-made. Uh, we're not self-sufficient. Um, 
God, you know, when God was bringing uh, the Israelites into the promised land uh, through Moses, he, he warned them, Deuteronomy 8, 17, Beware lest you say in your heart, uh, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. So he's saying, You're, I'm bringing you into this land that's, that's rich and abundant, and there's even you know, cities that already exist that you can inhabit, and, and land, and, and food, and produce, and... After you've been here for a while, don't think, well, I did this all myself. I put all this here. I got all this wealth. I got all this abundance. Um, you know, and then the Lord goes on to remind them, I led you through the wilderness 40 years. I took care of you. Um, we can become, uh, because of the abundance, we can become, uh, we can delude ourselves, deceive ourselves into thinking like, I'm always going to have everything I need at ready, ready at hand, and no question, no, no uh, doubt about it. Um, so I think, you know, just even aside from the needs we might be praying about, the fact that we're coming to God with these kinds of needs is good, healthy for us as Christian people to, to remember our place as creatures. Now, even though we've got all that food, think of all that has to happen for that food to get to your pantry or to get to your you know, uh, dining room table. Um, there has to be farmers. There has to be farmers with land and um, tools and machinery and skill. Uh, there has to be favorable weather, um, minimal disruption from pests, um, tr- that the crops have to get to a market. There has to be a market. There has to be roads and trucks and drivers to get those crops to the market. Um, there needs to be stores to sell the food. Um, and then all the employees that, that work in the store and then all their vehicles to get them to the store and the places where they live. And, you know, and then there need, you need to have money to buy the food. And so then there has to be a, um, a government that prints the money and there has to be paper and ink and machines and, um, there has to be taxpayers to fund the government. And that means they have to have jobs. And, you know, you just, you think of all the things that have to happen to, to line the shelves in our grocery stores with that food. I mean, we should pray, give us our daily bread. God, make it all work out. <laughs> uh, make, you know, give the farmers a successful harvest and so forth. Um, there's a lot going on there that, that we forget about because we just get the package, you know, we just get the bread all nice and neat. Um, and don't even have to think about it unless you make your own, and that's a little different. Um, so praying this way is entrusting ourselves, entrusting our very existence to God. And um, right before Jesus teaches uh, his disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer, remember he says, don't pray like the pagans. And he says, your Father in heaven already knows what you need before you ask him. And so we remember as we pray, give us our daily bread. My Father in heaven knows my needs. I'm not telling him anything he doesn't know, but, but I'm entrusting myself to him. I have this, this loving Father in heaven who's eager to hear these things. Okay, so we pray for provision. And that could be, I need a job. I need a new vehicle. Um, Lord, um, I've got this disease uh, give me a way forward. Uh, it could be any number of things. It doesn't have to be food. 
Um, but we pray for provision. We also pray for pardon, uh, forgive our debts, even as we have forgiven those who are indebted to us. Um, I'm not going to say a lot about this because we spent like 10 or 12 weeks talking about forgiveness uh, just right before this class. Um, so I'm not going to say a ton about it other than, um, you know, Jesus, the, the word he uses um, to talk about sin here is debt, a, a debt toward God and whomever else we sinned against. And we sin daily, and so we ought to confess daily. Um, we need pardon daily. We sin daily, we need pardon daily. We ought to confess regularly. Um, and, and throughout the centuries, uh, Christians have made confession a regular part of their life. Now, it, it, I'm not saying you have to confess every day. Um, uh, obviously, confess when you become aware of a, a way in which you've sinned against God or your neighbor. But uh, confession should be a regular part of our, our life as Christians. Not some kind of morbid, introspective, let me just beat myself up over things that aren't even sins because somehow God likes it when I'm in pain. Um, not like that. But to keep us honest, right? To keep us humble. Uh, remember, hey, I don't got it all together. I screw up all the time. And uh, going before God um, to confess my sins will remind me of that and um, hopefully make me more um, uh, quicker to confess when I do become aware of my sins, quicker to seek forgiveness from those I sin against, and so forth. So, um, And then, of course, you know... Um, Jesus says here, forgive us our debts even as we forgive our debtors. Forgiven people extend forgiveness to others. We talked a lot about that in the forgiveness class, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But we pray for provision, we pray for pardon, um, and we pray for protection. Protection. Um, Two parts to this final petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or some translations say the evil one, um, the translation could go either way. And it really doesn't matter which one it is. Is it evil or is it the evil one? Because behind evil is the evil one. The evil one does evil. It's all part of the same uh, package. So lead us not into temptation. So sin, uh, trouble, could be both. Um, Deliver us from evil. Now, question... Uh, might come up in your mind, does God tempt us? I mean, why would we pray, God, don't lead me into temptation? Does, does that imply that God does lead us into temptation at times? And um, sometimes I think as Christians we get this idea that, you know, God's just kind of this like, he's got this like twisted personality and he tells us, don't do that, but then he kind of dangles it in front of us to see, well, are they going to do it? And um, kind of makes it hard for us to obey and because somehow he wants to get us in trouble. And um, It's nothing like that. Uh, the Bible clearly says God doesn't tempt anyone to sin. James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Um, praying, God doesn't lure us with temptation. He's not, you know, he's not a fisherman with this really great 
fishing lure that's just going to you know, catch all the fish. Uh, he doesn't toy with us like that. And this petition isn't saying that God does lead us into temptation. It's just simply a request. God, protect me from temptation. Just keep me from temptation. Keep me from giving in to temptation. I, I think it's like what um, Jesus told the disciples in Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 41. He, he tells them, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So entering into temptation means not not being it doesn't mean being faced with a temptation it means yielding to its power yielding to its power so we're we're praying father in heaven my father in heaven our father in heaven um keep me from yielding to temptation's power um strengthen i shouldn't just say me because we talked last week this is a family prayer keep us from yielding to temptation's power. Strengthen us to endure. Um, and then the, the second part of the request, deliver us from evil. Deliver us um, from evil. So this is the positive counterpart. Don't, don't let me give in to that. And then on the flip side, deliver me from it. Um, again, I pointed out it, the, the word there could mean evil one, the devil, could just simply be evil, no real difference either way. Um, we're surrounded by evil, right? I mean, there's evil in our own hearts. There's evil in the world around us. There's the devil and his his uh, evil army that uh, prowl around seeking to devour us, Peter says in 1 Peter 5. Uh, we are praying for protection, preservation, and strength. Um, who... Praise this kind of prayer. Um, not the proud, self-righteous, I've got it all together person. Uh, this prayer is prayed by people who are conscious of their weakness, um, people who know to some degree their, their kind of characteristic sins and temptations, um, people who know that kind of uh, the distorted desires that they they wrestle with. Um, it's people who are honest about themselves uh, that pray this and realize I'm weak, I'm susceptible, and I'm surrounded by things that um, tempt me. Um, and Jesus teaches us to be those kinds of people. The people who are honest about themselves, realistic about themselves, um, aware of their own tendencies, um, aware of the dangers around them. And, and the Bible tells us that our Savior loves to help those kinds of people. Hebrews 4.15, uh, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Um, so, you know, we're praying, lead us not into t- temptation, deliver us from evil. Jesus has been there. Jesus has faced temptation. Jesus has faced evil. Jesus was surrounded by evil, tempted in the same ways we are, yet without sin. Um, he never gave in. He knows about endurance. Um, what, which is easier to do? Uh, sign up for the marathon or finish the marathon? 
Uh, really easy to sign up, really easy maybe even to start the marathon, really difficult to finish the marathon. I tried it once, never going to do it again. I did finish, but it was difficult. I hated it. Um, it's really hard to, to endure for the long run, right? Jesus did it. You know, we, we, we're faced with temptation. At some point, we give in. And so we don't know the full force of temptation. Jesus never gave in. And so he, he, in some ways, knows about temptation better than we do because he's resisted the full force of it. And Hebrews says he can give us help uh, in our time of need. So three God-centered petitions, three uh, need-oriented petitions. And then traditionally, there's a... Uh, concluding doxology appended to the Lord's Prayer. Um, if you know, if I've got the ESV here, it's not printed in the ESV. There's a footnote that says, you know, some translations have it there at the end. Um, from what we can tell, this doxology for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Um, from what we can tell, that wasn't um, original. So it's not in the best manuscripts of Matthew's gospel. From what we can tell, it, it, um, I, could, I should say it's not in the best manuscripts, but it is a very wonderful conclusion to the prayer. And from what we can tell, this was, um, you know, the Lord's Prayer was used in, in worship services in the early church. And apparently um, this, this concluding doxology was added to the end. So when the congregation would recite the prayer together, they would conclude this way. Beautiful doxology um, that uh, and very fitting conclusion to this prayer. And so um, the doxology part is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That word for, it's a, a linking word. And the, the connection is we, we ask all these things. May, you know, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us our daily bread, forgive our debts. Uh, don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from evil. We ask these things because, for, because you, our Father in heaven, you alone are able to do them. Yours is the power. Um, you, our Father in heaven, you're eager to answer our requests. You, our Father in heaven, you receive glory when we pray this way. So it's a, a fitting conclusion to um, our prayers, uh, and especially this this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to encourage you again um, to try to incorporate the Lord's Prayer into your prayer life. Um, I mentioned last week, you know, you can break it down into individual phrases and maybe take a phrase a day and make that kind of the filter for your prayers. You know, Sundays could be our Father in Heaven. And so your prayers that day relate to that. Uh, Monday, hallowed be your name, and so forth. Um, you could just incorporate it as maybe something you recite in your prayer life. You um, recite it, and then you move on to some specific personal prayers. Um, it could be an outline for how you pray in your daily prayers. So, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and you kind of pray about that. Your kingdom come, and then you pray about that, and so on. Um, make it a part of of your prayer life. Um, I'd also encourage you, um, if you don't have it memorized, memorize it. 
I, I mentioned last week, you know, uh, my realization that uh, growing up in a low church context where we kind of avoid, you know, reciting things and all that, that like I didn't really have it down. So a number of years ago, I realized I didn't really have the Lord's Prayer down. And, and I saw that as a loss. This is such a rich prayer. And so I made it a point to, to memorize it so that it, it was ready at hand when I needed it and could become a part of my, my prayer life and thinking. So if you don't have it memorized, um, you know, maybe commit it to memory. Start, start committing it to memory. It can take some time. But um, you know, daily usage will really um, imprint it on your, on your mind and your memory. So um, that's it for the Lord's Prayer. Um, the next two Sundays, we're going to look at some prayers from the Apostle Paul. I say we as if I would be a part of it. I won't be here. Uh, Craig will be um, teaching on two um, prayers from Paul. And so we'll we'll get a slightly different um, take on prayer, looking at the kinds of things uh, Paul prayed for the churches he was involved with, uh, which are also very helpful, very instructive. So I'll pray. Actually, I forgot. I I want us to recite it together again, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's printed on the back of the handout. Um, I encourage you to use the handout because we've all heard it in various translations and the, it gets messy. Let's just all do it the same way from the handout um, uh, together. So I'll start us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we do uh, pray these things, that your name would be praised, your kingdom would come more and more and our lives and in our life together as a church, that your will would be done um, here in Escondido as it is in heaven. Uh, Lord, would you uh, meet our needs? Would you forgive our sins, God? Would you protect us as we uh, make this pilgrimage through this world surrounded by so many evils and uh, evil residing within us, Lord? Would you protect us, deliver us, that we might... Uh, be uh, name bearers in this world, good name bearers in this world, bearing your name before a watching world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.